Guys, you know, uh, for the last few uh, months, we had been in an effort to try to um, reduce our debt so we could do some really cool and amazing things. And by your, God's blessing and your own generosity, we were able to do that. So I get the privilege today to tell you one of the things that came out of that, that we are released to do. Uh, we've been released. So I got three of our staff up here, uh, great looking guys and girl that I get the chance to work with every day. And it's going to get even more so because uh, as of September 1st, uh, because we have been released and some freedom financially, we're going to be, uh, uh, Crystal Collins is going to be our new children's minister. Talking, to, talking about earning a job, I mean, you know, when you uh, can get through a couple years of journey camp, uh, she's proven how much she loves kids and loves the Lord. Uh, but the really cool thing is we're not losing Eric, which is most important. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Eric is, Eric's going to be moving kind of a different role. Uh, he's going to be working in the area of minister of outreach and involvement or involvement and outreach, whichever way. Uh, but uh, we're excited about what God's going to be able to do. He's going to be helping us reach into our community and maybe around the world, whatever we can do, but also getting our people involved in ministry and service and activity. So we're excited about that. And, uh, and Tony's job is going to change a little bit too because, um, you know, both these guys have been here almost nine years, almost 10 years, almost 10 years. And uh, so through those times, we began to see gifts and strengths and everything and uh, so uh, Tony's going to be moving to kind of more of an associate role. Uh, he's going to be uh, working uh, kind of administratively. So a lot of his strengths are in that facility, care, connecting with our community and our church's impact uh, locally here. So it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited about these guys and the support that we have, uh, that I have personally. I've just come to, to love them. I love our staff. Can't, can't, uh, can't wait to get Crystal on a daily basis. It's going to be slowing. She's going to have less of a job when she gets full time than she's had this summer. I said, it's, it's going to be easy. You're going to think you're not doing anything, uh, you know, after this time because he's so busy now. But we're excited. Give these guys a big hand, would you? Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Love you. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So that's a great way to kick it off. And uh, so cool to see our journey kids here. And if you're a parent of a journey kid, we've loved having them here. Our goal is to provide a really safe, fun environment for them. Kind of our slogan is, it's what summer ought to be. It's what it used to be. It's what it ought to be. And so we're so excited that we can host uh, your child here on the campus and, uh, and have a really great time. Well, there we're, we are uh, in the study of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we're almost done. We've been in uh, several weeks now, and we're going to take another uh, installment in that. And uh, let me just ask you, has anybody ever said to you, hey, if you just do the right thing, everything will be fine. I mean, if you just, just do good things in life, nothing but good will come to you. If they've ever said that to you, uh, they probably lied about other things as well. Because that's not true, is it? It is not true that if you do the right thing, everything is going to go well. It wasn't true for Jesus. It wasn't true for the Son of God. It's not going to be true for you and I as well. In fact, in John chapter 16, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. Have there ever been truer words ever spoken than that? In this world, you will have trouble. Every one of us do. Life itself is hard for most of us. It's difficult. We face challenges every day. I mean, we have problems like health problems. 
and financial problems, and we got relational problems, and job problems, and car problems. Some of you may have single parent problems. You have, may have some mental health challenges you have. You may have accidents. You have people making and taking advantage of us. Uh, you may well have what we might call misfortune or bad luck. Some people just seem to be followed around by that. You know, there is trouble all the time. And some of those things that we go through in life are really annoying and distracting, but many of those things actually are life derailing. They take over our lives. They control us. And we suffer and we struggle through those things. So we've been in the study, and one thing you've noticed if you've been with us is that Peter has talked a lot about suffering, a lot about suffering, more than what I realized the book actually had in it. But today we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter under a section that's entitled Suffering as a Christian suffering as a Christian, which takes it to another level a little bit. Look in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that, the, that may come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. There are other versions that say, do not be um, uh, surprised or not, do not be shocked. And then one version also addresses them by saying, using the word beloved, so this is kind of a word, it's an interesting word, a term of deep affection here that you might think about or call a child, a spouse, or maybe a grandchild. We call them beloved. And this is the term, if you, you might remember, that God used when he spoke about his son. When Jesus was baptized and also in his transfiguration, Jesus said what? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So I think it's interesting that Peter uh, addresses or feels this way toward believers and you and I. So we talked about the fact that although, although this was written thousands of years ago, it echoes down through time. It's as relevant to us today as it was in the day it's written, written, the inspired word of God. And you are beloved. If you are a child of God, you are beloved. You are beloved as a child of God. You might say, well, if I'm so beloved, then why am I suffering? Why am I suffering if God loves me so much, if he cares about me? In other words, can't God prevent my suffering? Let me just say this. There was no one more loved by God than Jesus. But if you look at the life of Jesus, it was a life of suffering. It was a life of suffering. He endured that, what he went through here, how he suffered. And I'm sure at times it didn't seem like to the onlooker that Jesus was loved by God. I mean, here he was by, by man. He was hated. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was a falsely accused by man. He was abandoned by God. He was murdered by his enemies. Through all those things, it doesn't seem like he was very beloved, does it? But his suffering had a purpose. It had a meaning there, and he endured it, and we benefit from it. So what we learn from the Bible is that suffering has many cases a purpose or definitely an outcome that God can bless and God can use. And if we look at the life of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to suffer as well. Not to the extent that Jesus did, but we're going to suffer as well. You know, it's nothing strange or nothing unusual that we're going to suffer. It's a part of the human experience. But I want you to also notice here that when you suffer, it is not a punishment. It is a test. That's what we see in the Bible about, about suffering. It's not a punishment. We're not punished because we did something wrong. We are, we are suffering because God may be testing us. In fact, if you think about it, life itself here on this earth is a test. Do we trust that God is a good God? Do we trust that God is in control? And will we hold on to our faith regardless of our experiences? Understand that God is glorified through our lives whenever we prove faithful and we hold up under suffering. 
Let me remind you of a man who suffered much in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Job. Job was an example of a man who loved God and trusted God. In fact, so much so that when the, um, the powers that be, the heavenly powers came together, Satan had already seen Job and he came to God and he said, man, I've seen your servant Job and he worshiped you, he's faithful. And God says, he's a good man. And Satan said, yeah, he's good because you blessed him so much. And God, and God had blessed him. Job was wealthy, a large family. He had good health. Everything was great. But God said his faithfulness is not based on his blessings. His faithfulness is, blessed, is, is based on his love for God. And God allowed Satan, read the book, to test Job's faith by taking away everything from him. He took away all of his wealth. He took away all of his family. He took away even his health, even to the point that all of his friends and, and his wife sat around telling him to deny God and die. I mean, everybody was telling him to do the same thing. They were telling Job, you must have done something wrong. And Job said, no, I've, I haven't. I've been faithful. And as he continued to be faithful to God, would not curse God, he would not deny God, he remained faithful. Later on, God rewarded him with more children and more wealth and better health than he had before. But more importantly, God was glorified by Job's faithfulness, so much so that thousands of years later, we talk about the patience of Job and the faithfulness of Job. That's the kind of example. It was a test, he passed it, and today God gets the glory. Now, the reality is that all of us are going to go through some hard times. We're going to suffer in our lives. Physical suffering is a part of our lives. Illnesses, disease, accidents, injury, pain, loss, grief, all those things are a part of our human experience. We all suffer those things. And some of our suffering is random. We have no idea how, where it came from and why it came. We talked about last week, some of us are suffering as a result of our own actions. We bring suffering on ourselves. We bring physical suffering by not being taking care of our bodies as we should. We bring that on, of our, on ourselves, but, but much of it we don't understand. But let me ask you this. What if we viewed all suffering, regardless of its purpose or its source, what if we viewed all suffering as a test to see if we will be faithful? What if we looked at it in that way? Instead of blaming God or maybe blaming people or whatever it might be, we saw suffering as a test. Will we trust God to get us through it? Will we trust God? That's the big question. Now, we don't understand why people suffer. We don't know why some people suffer more than others. Extreme suffering. We don't understand why some good people suffer more than bad people. We would, in our minds, we would pile the suffering on the bad people of the world, but that isn't always true, is it? And honestly, it's above my pay grade and yours as well to be able to understand in that. But in the midst, middle of all that, what we're called to do is we are called to trust God, just be faithful wherever we are without having to know or understand. In fact, in many cases, suffering is designed to strengthen our faith, not to weaken it, but to strengthen our faith and to allow us to share a testimony of God's faithfulness through our suffering, which is what exactly what happened to Job. So what Peter's saying here in this scripture, in this section, is that sometimes our suffering is not just occurs because we're human, but sometimes it comes specifically because we are Christians. He's taking it to another level here, beyond just suffering, normal suffering. Sometimes because you are a Christian, you're gonna suffer. Amen. Now, when this book was written, the church was about to enter a time of deep persecution under Nero, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. Nero had allowed the, or the city of Rome burned, 
And Nero blamed Christians for the fire. There was no proof that any Christian had anything to do with it. But as the city was destroyed by, by fire, Nero turned the public opinion against Christians. He began to create this narrative that Christians were responsible. And people were always looking for someone to blame, right? So uh, they, these Christians were made the villains, and Nero began to persecute them. But even more so, people, um, people turned against them. They turned against this new uh, faith, a new religion of Christianity. And in fact, people would cheer when they were thrown into the arenas, when Christians, people they probably knew, they were thrown into the arena and torn apart by lions and gladiators. And they would cheer about that. They were, Christians were covered with oil and they were impaled on a stake and they were burned to light Nero's dinner parties. And people were okay with that. They actually would walk past Christians who were burning, lighting the party. They were okay with that because they were Christians. This was a narrative that was turned against them. In fact, many people say that Nero oversaw the death of the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul. Now, it's hard for us to think about and imagine that kind of blatant persecution, that level of it in our modern world. Because honestly, we don't see that in our experience, do we? We don't see Christians being treated in that way. However, it's real in certain parts of the world. The International Institute for Religious Freedom found that there were over 360 million people, that is one out of seven people in the world globally, who endured persecution and discrimination in their country this year. Over 360 million people. So persecution is real. Overall, almost 6,000 Christians were killed because they were Christians. Over 5,000 churches were attacked or closed. Over 6,000 Christians were arrested without trial. Almost 4,000 were kidnapped. And you know what? This happens in places like Afghanistan, which is the worst country in the world for persecution. North Korea, Nigeria, Iran, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen. And I read this morning that in Haiti, which is a country that we support missionaries in, uh, they've asked everyone to leave because Christians, uh, work, uh, serving workers, have been, have been kidnapped there on a very constant basis. So Christians around the world are being opposed and they're being persecuted. Now, here in the U.S., as Christian, uh, Christianity declines, and unfortunately, we've seen that, there is a rise in discrimination and what we might call subtle persecution as Christians are demonized in some spaces because they can't go along with the culture. And Peter understands that because their culture was moving in that direction. Remember what I said was happening very shortly after the book was written. And Peter saw that coming, and we can see that coming in our culture as well. And if the current pace continues as it has been, and as history has shown in other nations, we're going to be discovered at some point that we're going to have to make some difficult decisions about our faith. Jesus said this, he said that you can't serve two masters, that you have to serve either God uh, or the world. So you're going to have to serve and choose one, and you're going to get in trouble with one either way, right? The question is, who will we get in trouble with, and what will you get in trouble for? Because if you go along with what the world says, you're going to be in trouble with God. There's no doubt about it. But if you go along with God, what God says, you're at some point going to cross lines with the world itself. In fact, Peter calls this a fiery trial. He says, you will have a trial that you may have hell unleashed in your life. Now, if that sounds extreme, let me just remind you that there are professors and journalists and bakers and photographers who have had their world up turned upside down, businesses destroyed, their lives ruined because their faith will not allow them to provide services 
or use their talents for sinful activities like gay marriage. They feel that's affirming it. And they refuse to do that. Their lives have been ruined. Their business have been ruined. That's persecution. Peter says, do not be surprised at this. Remember, guys, this isn't heaven. So do not surprise, be surprised when hell shows up. Do not be surprised when hell shows up. We're not at home here. And the Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this world. God has a lot of power, but God has given Satan freedom. We don't even understand totally why the freedom that he has, how much he has. But Satan may not let us live in peace here in this world. So if you're fully for God, then culture and eventually government, unfortunately, will eventually be against you. And there are people in our world today who are trying to remove all reference to God from any type of our culture, including our schools, our community, in many ways that they can. And if we passively set, that back, set back and let that happen, as we have largely in the past, then one day you and I or our descendants are going to suffer for it. We're going to suffer for it. It just happens. And that's why as Christians, we need to stand up for what freedoms we have, the freedoms our country was founded upon. Now, now, in some places, we can't stop what happens. And in Rome, they couldn't change what happened. But in a country like the U.S., founded on freedom, Christians who have the freedom to say something, we've been too quiet. I'm not saying we ought to be militant. I'm not saying we ought to be disruptive. But we need to be courageous and bold. And that's why Peter said, don't be surprised. But also remember that you can't confuse the world's hatred for you for God's love for you. The world may hate you, but God will always love you. Just because life is hard doesn't mean that God is against you or that God's abandoned you or that God is helpless because suffering is universal for all of us. It is not personal. So when you suffer, it's easy to think, well, I'm the only one in the world who's ever suffered like this. Or if you've been like me and I've, committed, I've admitted this before, I've gone through some suffering, some physical health issues, and I've been a real whiner. It's like, God, why me? Because if anybody should be exempt, it ought to be me, right? Because I'm your servant. I'm your man. You know, I can't get well. God help me. I'm a real whiner like that. You ask my wife. But sometimes we can get real, real, you know, we think it's personal. It's not personal. It's universal. It really is. It's a result of our falling world. And while you and I may do certain things to bring suffering on us uh, by our actions, suffering is still to be viewed as a test, not a punishment. So the issue isn't why am I suffering? The issue is how do I suffer and how do I respond to suffering? So Peter says it's going to happen, going to sometime come because you are a Christian, but how we respond to it's important. Let's pick up in verse 13. But rejoice there in so much <coughs> as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So Peter tells us here how we should suffer and how we respond to that and our reaction should be to rejoice. He said, rejoice, be overjoyed, be blessed, Praise God, which is probably the opposite of how most of us think about we endure suffering and respond to suffering. Few of us really face suffering with joy. And you know what? We see this, though, in the early church. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested for preaching Jesus. 
They were thrown in jail for that. They were arrested, put in jail, which wasn't posh or anything in that day. Very uncomfortable. And uh, they, they were in jail, but an angel of the Lord came, released their bonds, and they went back out in the temple area and the public streets and began to preach. And the, the religious leaders who had, had arrested them were furious, as you might imagine. And they went out there and they saw them, they heard about them. They wanted to put them to death. But you know what the apostles said? They said, you know what? We have to obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And this uh, infuriated the leaders even more so. You can imagine this was kind of thumbing their nose at them, but they were afraid of the people's response. So they tucked them in, they flogged them, which was a beating of about 40 uh, lashes with a rod or with a whip of some sort. And they flogged them and, and beat them. And it says the apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering. So when you suffer or when you experience a minor inconvenience or an uncomfortable moment for being a Christian, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. The Bible says you ought to rejoice because you have been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name of Jesus. That you have been bold enough to stand up for what you believe and you've been courageous. Peter said, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. In other words, what's happening is that God is looking down at you and smiling when you suffer. In Acts chapter six, Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr, the first one to die for his faith was being interrogated. And the Bible says that his face was like that of an angel. So they were attacking him and verbally uh, criticizing and mocking him. And his face was like an angel. Later on, in verse uh, uh, later on in verse 55 and following, it says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And you know what they did? They stoned him. They beat him and pelted him with stones until he died and they covered his body with stones. But he saw Jesus at the right hand of God, and he counted it a blessing that he was worthy to suffer for Christ. You know, Peter does clarify here that when we suffer, though, it shouldn't be because we've done anything wrong. That we shouldn't claim to be a Christian to excuse our bad behavior, not as a criminal or not even as a meddler. Other versions here say not as a busybody or a troublemaker. In other words, we don't use our faith to go out in the public and cause problems and stir up issues because we're demanding our rights and our, what, we, what we believe. Other, uh, don't expect Jesus to bail you out if you deserve to be punished. And in verse 16, Peter uses the word Christians here. He talks about Christians, which is one of only three times it's used in the Bible. I didn't realize that. Only three times is the word Christian used. And the other usage are also a little bit later in the book of Acts. We're going to study Acts after this. But the word Christian means a little Christ. And in that day, it wasn't a compliment. When it began, it wasn't like, hey, let's call ourselves Christians, you know. In that day, it was used as a derogatory term. And the, the, the critics, the public would call them little Christ. They would say, look at those little Christ in a mocking way. And so the Bible says in Acts that the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. So in Antioch, they first started saying, hey, you know what? That's not a bad name. Let's just call ourselves Christians. And it was a nickname that they embraced and they made it, adopted it, and it became used by, by, by Christians universally because that's what we want to be. We want to be called like Jesus, little Christians. You know, believers were oftentimes despised in that day. 
and they were called uh, atheists. They were called atheists, oddly enough, because they would not worship the emperor. Everybody else was worshiping Nero. They refused to do, they called them atheists, which was odd, right? They were called cannibals because they claimed to eat the body and the blood of Jesus, the communion. They called them cannibals. So they criticized them for everything they did. And the culture kind of created this negative narrative about Christians. And you know what? It does the same thing today. Christians are called intolerant and hateful and unloving because we hold to the truth of God's word. None of those things are true except the fact we just don't kneel at the altar of culture. We just refuse to say we're not going to go along with that. And uh, it doesn't come from a place of judgment and criticism. It comes from a place of personal convictions and holiness. It's not what we believe is right. We love sinners, but we hate the sin in the world. So if you suffer specifically because you are a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. The world wants to cancel Christians when we speak out about our faith. We read about it every day in the news. You know, they want to shame us, put us into a corner, or, or maybe even attack us. But remember what Jesus endured. Jesus was accused of being a glutton, an alcoholic, a friend of sinners, a demon-possessed man, an illegitimately born uh, child. He was arrested uh, as a common criminal. He was mocked, called the king of Jews. But how did Jesus respond? If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus rejoiced in those sufferings. In Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So how do we respond in the midst of suffering? How do we, how do we get ourselves to the place that we can find joy in that? We seek help and direction by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us joy even through suffering. And you know what? God may or may not take our suffering away, but God will give us the strength to endure. We look to him to endure suffering. Instead of being ashamed, we are called to glorify God in the name, the name of Christ. And our suffering and our willingness to suffer for Christ brings glory to him. So we're going to suffer if we follow him. That's a promise. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to go through that. But here's the thing. The only way to avoid suffering and slander is to do nothing. To do nothing or say nothing. And that's not what we're called to do. We don't help people by lying to them or compromising our values. And if you believe that biblical Christianity is the best, most loving and helpful way to live, then love people enough to be honest with them, not being critical, just to build a relationship and share truth with them. Not out of anger or judgment to condemn, but out of love to deliver them. And guys, don't worry about being on the wrong side of history. We hear that phrase, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. You know what? We need to be more concerned about being on the right side of eternity. That's more important than worrying about history. Because history is oftentimes wrong, right? Let's move on. Verse 17. Peter said, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. <coughs> and if judgment begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So Peter says here that judgment begins with the house of God. You know, what's troubling today is that a segment of the church is blatantly compromising the word of God. That's what's troubling to me more than what the world's doing out there. And it's more important that the supposedly household of God be purified than judgment than it is for the rest of the world. That's where it has to start. 
You know, Paul says this about judgment. We always talk about judgment. First Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people and not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. You know what the Bible says? That we're not to judge the world and criticize the world. God will take care of that. The church is supposed to police itself. The church is supposed to call each other to repentance. And we're not to judge the people of the world, but we are to judge those who claim to be the household of God. God expects different for his family. And God, um, and both temptation and suffering are going to reveal where we are. We'll be tempted. We can be suffered. How we respond will show where we are in God's family. God will judge us, the people of God, and then God will judge those outside. It's not our business, not our purpose to do that. But the point that he's saying here is if it's important for us to be faithful, those who are, call ourselves believers, and we prepare for judgment, then what do you think will happen to those who do not even claim to trust him? What will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? That's the question that he's asking here. And he says that we need to make sure that we're doing our thing, what is right, what God's called us to do. And he says, in wrapping up, he says, those who suffer, therefore, should commit themselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. Guys, we can't change the world by ourselves. We can only change ourselves. And the church needs to focus on our hearts, our lives, be obedient, be faithful, endure suffering as a child of God, bring testimony to our God, love the world as Jesus did. But Peter just says, you know, times are going to be tough. Just hang tough. Be faithful, be strong, be firm. This morning, that's my challenge to you. When you suffer, and we all do, no matter what may be, whether it's for a Christian, whether it's just as a human being in life, know there's a God who cares. And how we endure that suffering is what really matters, especially if you're a child of God, that you bring glory to him. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And if you are here and maybe you don't know or understand why anyone would have a faith like that, and you want to talk to someone about it, I'd love to, to take a few moments and do that with you. We're going to be up front. A couple of us are. We'll be here available to pray with you. If you're suffering right now and you just need some help, someone to pray with you and talk with you through this, we'd love to do that. Take this time. But uh, we'll do that during the song as we sing here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for its word, your word. Lord, we don't understand why we have to go through fiery trials sometime. God, we don't understand why the world doesn't embrace you and love you like, like we do. But God, help us trust you and know you're in control. Father, I pray that, that those of us who do call you Lord, that God, we would suffer faithfully for you. We would never deny you. We would never um, minimize your influence in our life, Lord. And we would live for you every day, regardless of what the world brings to us. And Lord, that we would show that kind of love and faithfulness so the world would say, we want to know why, who you serve and why. Father, help us be faithful to you in everything. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.